entering the Freedom Hut. The Democrats seem to think the only way they can win is if they change the rules. A preview of what they're doing for the 2020 election already. Plus, is a universal basic income a good idea or a path to socialism? And also, the Trump administration gets a victory on immigration, but the crisis at the border worsens. That and more coming up on The Buck Sexton Show. This is The Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Getting rid of the Electoral College. Is that an idea that you support? I think there's there's a lot to that um, because you had an election in 2016 where the loser got three million more votes than the victor. It puts some states out of play altogether. They don't feel like their votes really count. So if, if we really want every person to vote and give them every reason to vote, we got to make sure their, their votes count and go to the candidate of, of their choosing. So I, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And that's something we talked about on the campaign trail. We need to make sure that every vote counts. And, and I want to I push that right here in Mississippi, because I think this is an important point. You know, come a general election, presidential candidates don't come to places like Mississippi. Yeah, they also don't come to places like California and Massachusetts, right? Because we're not the battleground states. Well, my view is that Every vote matters. And the way we can make that happen is that we can have national voting, and that means get rid of the Electoral College and every And that means get rid of the Electoral College. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Wow, I know. I put you through your paces there for a moment. Beto, on the one hand, like, totally wants to get rid of the Electoral College. And then Warren, who kind of is like Hillary, but a little more twangy sounding. Get rid of the Electoral College. Oh, wow. Where did this come from? Oh, that's right. When the left loses, what do they do? When they lose a contest, do they think about why they lost? Why do that when you could just change the rules to suit your side? That's the plan. And it just goes to show you how much nonsense and bull it was when the left was saying for the last uh, two years that the Trump administration is undermining institutions. They, they They will go scorched earth on institutions. They will undermine any electoral process we have. They'll undermine any agency, any institution, any aspect of the Constitution, the plain meaning of law. The plain understanding of amendments to the Constitution, there's nothing they won't undermine. They don't respect any of these things. They respect power. And they're not even clever about it sometimes. Elizabeth Warren's thing there, people in Mississippi would find... No, that's not true. If it were all just about popular votes, guess what? Mississippi has almost 3 million people. That's not going to get a lot of attention. Sorry. Sorry. It's not getting a lot of attention in presidential election. Three, those three million people? Uh-oh. It's been a lot more time in states with tens of millions of residents trying to squeeze out every vote. So she doesn't even know what she's talking about. It's, it's just 
not true, but they need to come up with some patina, some veneer of a justification for why one of the, yes, institutions set up by the founders, you know, part of the genius of the American founding is this system of federalism and states and uh, members of Congress, the you know, Congress is uh, the House of Representatives is the House for the people. The senators are representatives of the states uh, you know, that there's a reason for all of this. And I don't know which would be more disconcerting that they don't that the Democrats don't know the reasons for the system that we have or that they just know and don't care. Depending on which one we're talking about, um, it could be either. Or it could be, you know, it could be, it could be uh, that they know and don't care. It could be they don't know. But one thing that is for sure is that they are also playing into the notion that Hillary really won. And that is, you know, I'm not going to say it's a dog whistle, but this is, this is a subliminal message that they put out all the time. That's one of the reasons they like to talk about the Electoral College. Just every chance they get to bring up that the popular vote went the way the Democrat, and it's true the popular vote went the way the Democrat in 2000 as well. That's not the election process that we have. You, know, you could also say that there are so many aspects of the election process that's arbitrary. Why is it one day? Now you've said it's expanding. We're expanding out voting in, in different states. Okay, well, why couldn't we vote over the course of a year? You know, really get a sense. Of, why not let people vote and then in three months let them vote again if they want to change their vote? You know, we'll just we'll give people the right to retract a vote. I mean, you could do this all day. We have a system. The system has worked pretty well for a long time, and the only time Democrats have a problem with the system is when they don't win. When they win, the system is great. And if you question any aspect of it, you are undermining our sacred institutions. As I've always said, one of the reasons the Democrats have so much latitude, they have so much room for maneuver, is that they lack fixed principles. Their, princi their principles are situational. They have situational ethics. I like the Electoral College when it means that I get to have my people be the president. I don't like the Electoral College when it's not. It's, it's a fair system when it works for me. It's an unfair system when it doesn't. You know, you'll notice with conservatives, we'll say on many issues and many times, and even some of the some of the Republican senators that voted against Trump on the border, I think they're wrong, as I've said, but I do believe that some of them did it out of what they thought was principle. And that was them saying, at least those that you would say have voted on uh, voted on a principled basis against this, that was their version of saying, look, e even though I like that the president would do this or I approve of the action, I don't approve of the mechanism for accomplishing it. That's respect for the system. That's believing that there's something more important than an immediate political win and getting your way on some issue right away. Um, but the... Democrat Party is is going so far left they're going to they're going to topple over soon. They're not going to have any room. You hear what's being talked about openly, you know, abolish the electoral college, allow 16-year-olds to vote. Oh, Elizabeth Warren opening herself up to a whole lot of jokes that I won't make here on this show, but you know, she's somebody who 
engaged in, in, in racial fraud. Now she wants to talk about reparations for a history of racial discrimination. I'm sure a lot of people would have a lot to say about Elizabeth Warren being a a person promoting this. But yeah, she's she's for reparations. Play clip nine. America was founded on principles of liberty and freedom and on the backs of slave labor. This is a stain on America. It's time to start the national, full-blown conversation about reparations in this country. Start a conversation as Democrats speak for, I'm going to lecture a lot of people and fire up my base, but I don't really have any outcome in mind here. I, I don't have any particular solutions that I'm going to propose or, or policy actions that I think should take. I just want credit for being, it's, it's essentially an excuse to virtue signal. I just want to, uh, I want an excuse to be a virtue signaler on this issue. But you, you tell me any matter of national concern right now. And when you look at where the conversation is happening among the Democrats, when you look at what they're saying, these people that, that want to be the, the next leader of the free world, the next commander in chief of the most fearsome and powerful military in the planet. This is a, this is just like a clown car full of and not just because of the number. I mean, it's, it's a clown car because it's a lot of people and they're clowns. These Democrats are not serious individuals. Their ideas are not serious. What they're proposing for the country is disastrous. And Kirsten Gillibrand, who just is, is such a flip-flopping, fraudulent mediocrity, and how any, how any human being who's paying attention couldn't see that is beyond me. But listen to the way she speaks about immigration. Play clip eight. That should not be under ICE. It, it should not be under Homeland Security. Immigration is not a security issue. It is an economic and a humanitarian and a family issue. There is no such thing as an illegal human. Immigration is not a security issue. How how could anyone in the press hear that and not hammer her for saying something that is so stupid, so dumb? Of course, immigra- immigration is a is a primary security issue in this country. The infiltration of drugs, the possible infiltration of terrorists. I mean, this is no person who is thoughtful on the on the issue of, of immigration does not consider it to be a security issue. No person. But Gillibrand is just look, she's just looking for claps from, you know, the moveon.org crowd. I mean, she's just looking for people to praise her for bravery when all she's doing is pandering to ignoramuses who need to be in an echo chamber around her. That's all she's doing, just pandering the the utter vacuity of this i mean these people have just nothing to offer look if you had democrats coming forward that were talking about ways to increase competition among different healthcare providers and ways to bring down prescription drug prices and and securing the border and streamlining the immigration system so and i'm not saying these are all things that i would like i'm just saying you know these are things that they could i mean all actually most of that is stuff that i would like uh, but, you know, if they wanted to increase um, 
increase the speed with which we could get guest workers into the country if they wanted to talk more about, you know, there are serious things if they want to discuss our our income tax system and how it really does affect earners instead of the wealthy. You know, there should be a wealth tax instead of an income tax. I mean, there there are at least real areas of conversation. We'll get into one of them, the universal basic income idea later on this hour where I think Democrats could make a lot of headway. And a couple of them are dabbling in real discussions. But most of what you're seeing from Democrats right now is a, a, a disquieting idiocy on display. A real sense that these people will say anything for a round of applause from a far left that no longer really has any governor for just how extreme in terms of policy they're willing to go. You know, we, we now are having open discussions about socialism in America. We now have Marxists running for office in this country, the country that spent a, a good half of the 20th century trying to prevent Marxism from prevailing and in doing so saved billions of people from destitution, slavery and misery. Thank you, America. Now Marxism is in our own midst. I know that we mock some of these stupid ideas and we disassemble them as we must, but we also have to understand that for the hard left in this country, they think this is their moment. A swing back from Trump, further left than this country has ever gone. You can see the narrative taking shape right now. Socialism is being mainstreamed. Massive redistribution of wealth is now talked about as though it wouldn't be a bad thing. In fact, it would be a great thing. It would, it would increase prosperity here. We would do it better than other countries, you see. That's a big step. One that I don't think many of us would have expected to occur this quickly and this soon. But make no mistake about it, the 2020 election is a choice between capitalism and socialism, between liberty and statism. And Democrats understand the stakes and aren't backing away from some of the most extreme ideas that they think will be necessary to take us through that whole transition. We'll get into more of that and then immigration and oh so much more coming up. Corinne, will we be having this conversation if Hillary Clinton were president? You know, uh, I think we've been, that conversation's been around for since 2000. And I think, yes, you're right, Craig. I think after 2016, there was a big, uh, a much bigger push for it. So, yeah, you know, Hillary Clinton, the, the, her loss, winning three, three million more votes uh, for the popular vote, clearly, and losing the Electoral College, absolutely put this, put this issue in the, in kind of in the forefront. Yeah, that's right. Democrats just coming out and saying it there. Would, they, would we be talking about the Electoral College if Hillary had won? Nope, we would not. You know, they, they, you give them enough chances and they'll tell you. I mean, they, they want to change the voting system because Hillary lost. That's all they need. Hillary lost. Let's change the voting system. They know this isn't going to happen, by the way. This just, it's just catnip for the base, man. They just love. I don't even know. What is, is catnip? What, it's like a thing. It's like a treat, right? I don't even know what catnip really is. I just I just heard that phrase. I just realized. Is it really it, it, it gets them a little high? 
It's a really? little bit of like a psychedelic. It's fun. It's, not, it's, it's really? yeah. It's harmless. Fun story. Uh, koalas, when they eat eucalyptus, actually, I believe, get a little bit of a high from it. True story. Yeah. So koalas get a little stoned. Who knew? Um, but they want to change the votes. Uh, they want to change the votes by changing the voting system. And guess what? They also want to change the voters. Play clip 12. The focus needs to be on bringing more people to vote, not driving them away, not throwing them off the voter rolls. We want them, when they come here, to be fully part of our system. And that means not suppressing the vote of our newcomers to America. Young people should also have a say in who represents them. For your consideration, amendment number 127, which would lower the minimum voting age in federal elections from 18 to 16 years of age. Restore voting rights to felons who pay their debt to society. We must help more Americans to participate in their democracy. We need to work to remove barriers to voting. Okay, that's exactly what we expect, right? They, they just want to make sure that everybody can vote, 16-year-olds can vote, felons can vote. So change the voting system and change the voters. These are the people that, you know, this is the Democratic Party that pretends they have a superior argument. By the way, I had to check this. No, koalas apparently don't get high. They do eat eucalyptus leaves, but and they sleep a lot. But that's mostly because eucalyptus has some toxins in it and it's uh, it's hard for them to digest and they're very low in nutrition. Um, and I'm just going to say this. One of the first I don't I'm just I'm just telling you, don't don't shoot the messenger here. One of the first things that pops up when you ask about a koala bear on Google is, can you get an STD from a koala? (laughs) Now, I just want to point out that what they're, it turns out, it turns out that the reason, um, the reason they said that is because you can get, you can get a form of chlamydia from koala urine. Okay. It's from the urine, but I couldn't believe that that was one of the first things that people also ask, according to Google, can you get an STD from a koala from koala pee pee? From the urine, yes, in fact, you can get it. You can get chlamydia. I, Brandon, that's something new we just learned, isn't it? I wish I had the the more you know sound clip ready. <laughs> right? Knowing is half the battle. Wow, we just went on a koala rant here on the show. That's why you always got to tune into the Freedom Hut, folks. You never know what's going to happen. We got more. We got some big immigration stuff coming up. It's going to be exciting. Stay with me. holding the line for America. Buck Sexton is back. First, they steal a Supreme Court seat. Then they turn around and change the rules on filibuster on a Supreme Court seat. And so when it swings back around to us, what are we going to do? And my answer on that is all the options are on the table. One idea that I think is interesting is you have 15 members, but only 10 of them are appointed in the political fashion. Five of them can only be seated by unanimous agreement of the other 10. But the bottom line is we've got to make some kind of structural form to depoliticize the Supreme Court. I think I would like to start exploring a lot of options and we should have a national conversation. Term limits for Supreme Court justices might be one thing to give every president the ability to choose three. Uh, We have people holding on to those seats in ways that I don't think is necessarily healthy. So I want to figure out. Age limit? Look, I I think we term limits might be a better way of saying that. It's also transparent, isn't it? 
it's it's pathetic in, in its obviousness, but it's also troubling in its unwillingness to be honest from all these different Democrats. There you had Elizabeth Warren, Buttigieg, I, I think I'm saying his name right, and Cory Booker, all doing variations on how, you know, it's time to change the Supreme Court. Why do you think it's time to change the Supreme Court? Change the number of people in the court, change the change how long they serve in the court. Why, why, why is that gaining traction among Democrats? Because they've thought long and hard about what would be a better a better judicial institution for us to have. You know, is, has this been, has this been decades in the making? No, I I seem to recall that for my entire adult life, liberals were pretty much fine with the Supreme Court as it was. So what's different now? Oh, well, let's take what Elizabeth Warren said there. First of all, that a Supreme Court seat was stolen. That's a lie. That's, this is not an opinion. That's a lie. It's not stolen. Stolen, stolen implies taking something that you do not have a right to. What Mitch McConnell did, and he should get credit for it, was used completely legitimately, legally, within the rules of the Senate, the Senate rules, to not uh, have a vote on Merit, uh, Merrick Garland. That's all he did. Democrats do not have the Democrats in the Senate do not have a clear right. It is not their property. A Supreme Court seat does not belong to them. There is a process for that. And it is it, it was not stolen from them. Stolen implies some uh, violation of rules, right? A theft breaks rules, breaks rules about property, breaks rules about ownership. They're that's just a lie. She's just a liar, but a liar about a lot of things. So I suppose that's not really surprising. Oh, and changing the filibuster. She blames Republicans for that. That's cute because who changed the filibuster rule first when they wanted to just pack the courts with left-wing Obamaites who would do everything in their power to undermine constitutional protections for things like the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, I mean, one one part of the Obama administration that does not get nearly enough attention, and there's a lot of them, is is the just brazen assault on religious belief and really on, let's be honest, on Christian religious belief from the Obama administration, whether it was suing the little sisters of the poor or you name it, any opportunity the Obama administration got to just humiliate, prosecute, harass people of of Christian faith who are traditional Christians, right? Not not the sort of like social justice left wing Christians that are all open borders and all this other stuff. You know, there's a lot of that going on, folks. I guess that's a conversation for a different show. But the change of the filibuster was started by Democrats. So either Elizabeth Warren is just ignorant of history or a liar or, you know, I guess you could say she's probably both. But they want to right now you have the, the biggest names in Democrat politics in the earliest stages of an election saying we need to change the voting system to fit their needs, to fit the Democrats' needs. We need to change the voters to fit the Democrats' needs. We need to change the Supreme Court to fit the Democrats' needs. You see, this is why they, this is why they hate the Constitution. And, and that's not an overstatement. I mean, progressives are inherently in tension with, and I would argue generally despise, the Constitution because it is an anchoring document that holds them back from just going all out, all in on these different matters of state control and, and the expansion of the state's reach. 
right? The Constitution just is this is this bulwark, which that word is kind of ruined for me now because of a new crappy website. But it, it, it is this rock in the shoe of progressive Democrats. They just they can't entirely look and they've truncated in a lot of ways the constitution they've obviously ignored it they've made it up as they've gone along but it's still there and they still have to get around it in some way and that bothers them right they would rather if i think if you and this is why you've had i mean even people like ezra klein have said things uh, who's a left-wing you know a left-wing uh pseudo-intellectual you know that the Constitution's really old. Do we really need the Constitution the way it is? It's so vague. It was written by racist white men. And, you know, they did. And there's all this different stuff that the left says about the Constitution. That they don't they, they don't like it. They'll use it when it suits their purposes, but they don't have any real affinity for the structure and the and forget about even just the structure of our government. Why is it the way that it is? What is the balance of power really about? It comes from an understanding of human nature, right? See, this this is also, you know, conservatisms, we, we are rooted in this understanding and this history. The left just, they either ignore this or they don't understand it. They don't do the reading. A lot of them don't do the reading. We have an understanding of human nature because we also believe in natural law and the divine relationship between man and God and that our rights come from God. But we know how people are and in our government, The reason we have this separation of powers is that power tends to want to consolidate and expand. So the system that we have is meant to frustrate power. It is meant to prevent the accumulation of too much authority in the hands of any one group, individual or entity. That's the that's the purpose for it. And what you see with Democrats is er they chafe at that because the, the mindset of the central planner is if only I had the power, I would make a utopia. If only I were in a position of absolute authority, I would make all the problems go away. Who does that sound like? Republicans or Democrats? You know it sounds like Democrats. That is central to their ideology and their belief system. That if only they had more authority more power these things that you and i sit here talking about grappling with all these different issues they would go away but we'd also have to give away our say in this process and our rights and our individual not collective our individual liberties those liberties that aren't the states to take away in the first place unless you're a status and then you think that all rights come from the state not from god not from the natural order of morality they reject these breaks these checks on the system when they don't suit them because central to their belief is the right to centrally plan to make decisions for you for an elizabeth warren or a beto o'rourke or name your democrat right now they view all of the checks on the authority they would have as president and all of the stumbling blocks along the way that are put in place in the system things like our federalist system like the electoral college they view all of that as nothing but noise and distraction from the goal of 
central planning, deciding your life for you, making these determinations for you. It is their ultimate goal. Now, I was speaking about how far left things have gotten. Um, we need to talk a bit more about where Beto falls on this left-wing spectrum and also how the media is discussing him because I'm, I'm coming around to this thought. And I will say my, my good friend Raheem Kassam was one of the first ones. You know, I, I'm somebody who likes to admit when my mind has changed because there, there's a dynamism. There, there's there's a, a psychological aha that you can get from, wow, you know, I used to think this, but now I've been persuaded by a sound argument, and I and now I will support a different point of view on this. So that that keeps the mind fresh. That's why I like learning new stuff. I like hearing from different people. I like hearing from all of you. But my good friend Raheem Kassam, who's a, you know a fantastic guy and a great mind, you know, he said the other day to me, "You've you you can't think of Beto." I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, you can't think of Beto as a as a policy checklist. You think of him as a as a character. You, know, you have to think of him as somebody who's, as I've said, he's an Aaron Sorkin character mixed with a yoga instructor. I and mean, that's essentially what Raheem was, was getting at, which is that the persona of Beto is what everyone loves. They don't care what he really believes because the belief system follows, as in if you get Beto in power, the institutional left with all the, you know, with, with the Planned Parenthood and the open borders and the Marxism and the, you know, the hyper regulation, all of that comes with him no matter what. They know that. What they really need is an actor, an actor who's talented enough to fool 51% or so of the American people into believing that he's the guy or she's the gal. And they may have that with Beto. We'll have more on that. And then also, I know I've told you immigration, some big news on immigration today, and I'm going down to El Paso in a couple of weeks. So I'll have some field reports for you. That's all coming up. Stay with me. So we know the media loves Beto. I mean, they love Beto. Which is like, great, because I, lo I love them too. Because there's so much love to go around. And if we just unite in that love, there'll be love everywhere. Because not only does love win, but love is all you need. And I love you like a love song, baby. <laughs> Play clip five. Extremely uh, authentic. He's just an extraordinary guy. He has a vibrancy, a youthfulness to him. Uh, he has a message which is largely cheerful. He had a way of speaking inspirationally, but also really seriously laying out the stakes. What he has to start with is a, is a, a charisma that you just can't manufacture. The candidate wins who's got the sun in his face, who looks like sunny, optimistic, not the indoor bureaucrat sitting at some desk somewhere. Seeing him is like it's like a Jesus Christ superstar seeing this guy in front of people. He's got that celebrity celebrity aura about him and in that moment he was owning that celebrity superstar jesus christ superstar all this stuff man man they can't find enough they can't find enough things uh to say at, about beto uh they can't find enough ways to but no keep in mind you know even even mr even mr beto needs to keep the media on his side do everything that they can. Uh, he needs to do everything that he can to make sure that, you know, he, he plays within these rules that they've set up for himself. 
So he's already doing some apologizing because, you know, on the left now, apologizing is a kind of public penance. You know, you're not really going to get in trouble for it. You know that you're not going to be held to any real account or standard. But because you're apologizing with the safety of no consequences, there's no reason not to. So Beto is out there doing a little mini apology tour. Play four. There was a report that came out today um, that shared things I had written as a teenager. Really hateful, uh, really bad stuff. Uh, I'm mortified to read it now, incredibly embarrassed. Uh, But I have to take ownership of my words and understand the way that they make people feel when they read them now. I have to look long and hard at my actions, at the language that I have used. I'll be much more thoughtful going forward in in the way that um, I talk about our marriage and also the way in which I acknowledge the truth of the criticism that I have enjoyed white privilege. Absolutely. Undeniable. He's apologizing for what he wrote as a teenager. He's apologizing for his white privilege. He's apologizing for saying his wife mostly raises the kids. Man, why, why do, you know, when do we realize as a society that this this kind of pseudo-apology mania that we have, where, you know, he's not really sorry for any of that stuff, or at least I don't think he is. It's just so tiresome. It's all so worthless. It's just it's just a, a waste of everyone's time. But it's a power thing on the left, right? They want you to apologize because it's you, you bend the knee. You know, you kiss the ring. And on these issues, whether it's, you know, the feminist left getting upset because Beto said that, heaven forbid, his wife mostly raises the kids or on on just apologizing for his white privilege itself. This is what he needs to do to build up his account, his credits, so to speak, in the social justice bank. All those different identity politics groups, all those intersectional loons out there. They want Beto to make these apologies, so he will do it. But while there's so much of a, of a fixation right now on these different media narratives around this guy, and, and, and by the way, also, no one should apologize for what they wrote as a teenager when they're in their 50s or 40s or whatever he is. I think he's 50. Is he 50? I don't know how old he looks. He looks pretty good for 50. Um, see, now it's happening to me. Uh, Buck, it's okay. Come over to the dark side. Buck, come over. Walk away from the light. Join Beto Mania. Uh, But on a much more serious note, on a very different note, Beto is asked about another issue that lets you know just where, just how far left he really is. He's asked about infanticide specifically. Play six. Are you for third trimester abortions or are you going to protect the lives of third trimester babies? Because, you know, there's really not a medical necessity for abortion. It's not a medical emergency procedure because typically third trimester abortions take up to three days to have. So you would, in that sense, if there was an an emergency, the doctors would just do a C-section and you don't have to kill the baby in that essence. So are you for or against third trimester abortions? So the, the question is about abortion and reproductive rights and and my answer to you is that that should be a decision that the woman makes uh, third trimester abortion media heartthrob beto o'rourke says it's a decision that the woman should make nope there should not be third trimester abortion 90 percent of the american people agree on that by the way 
But Beto has to agree with the far left. He needs that money from Planned Parenthood. He needs, you know, NARAL pro-choice America to support him. So he has to be an abortion extremist. Do not forget that. For, for all the smiles and the happy talk from Beto, he's going to run as a leftist and he's going to govern as a far leftist. Let's talk immigration coming up. With this whole college admission scandal, you've seen it. People will go to extreme lengths to falsify their records. And never mind just getting into college, they'll do it for a job, too. People will lie about their backgrounds. That could be a problem for you in terms of liability. could be a problem in terms of getting the employee you think you're getting. That's why you need to call my friends at Global Verification Network. They are the only dual-certified veteran-owned background investigation and vetting company, and these guys are on it. Call them, whatever size company that you either run or own or work for. If you're in the HR department, you want to give a call to Global Verification Network and talk to them about how they can set up a program for you. They never offshore any data or client information, which separates them from most of the competitors in this space. Give them a ring, 877-695-1179. That's Global Verification Network at 877-695-1179. Tell them Buck Sexton sent you. With actionable intelligence. Make, make no mistake. America. Great. You're a great American. Again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Activate. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. Buck Sexton. It is Buck Sexton. Now. There is no manufactured crisis at our southern border. Last month, we apprehended more than 75,000, the highest in over a decade. And today, I can tell you that we are on track to interdict nearly 100,000 migrants this month alone. The border crisis could not be more real. Media has lied so shamelessly about it is... A disgrace, but I know it's not it's not surprising. So it's something that I, I you know, I, I have a hard time saying we should expect it because that almost makes it sound like it's not as big a deal as it is. But they've lied about how the caravan's never going to get to the border. They've lied about how walls don't work. They've lied about how now I sound kind of like Trump. And then we're going to go to the Ninth Circuit I and mean, we'll get a bad decision. Then we'll go to the other circuit. But it's true. I mean, the media has just been absolutely full of it on the border for a long time now. But the Trump administration got a victory today. In fact, the first decision of this of this uh, new court that came down uh, in a 5-4 ruling along, oh, yes, what they call ideological lines. They're going to be very open about that now that you have a 5-4, mostly conservative majority, although it's not always true. John Roberts saved Obamacare twice, folks. Twice John Roberts decided that what was a flatly unconstitutional law would be held constitutional through legal acrobatics. But let me just tell you what happened today. So the Supreme Court has ruled on the federal government's ability to detain immigrants awaiting deportation at any time. This could be days after, it could be years after they are released for serving another criminal sentence. So here's what the, the Ninth Circuit was involved in this, by the way. But here, here's what liberals and the ACLU and the stealth open borders left thinks the law should be. That if you are serving a criminal sentence... 
and you are an immigrant in this country and you may be because, you know, you can lose your you can lose your legal status. Right. If you're if you're somebody who's in the country legally, but you commit a crime, you can get deported. So what liberals said was, well, if you, let's say, are convicted for, uh, you know, a drug crime. The federal government can only after you've served your sentence, they have 24 hours to detain you pending the deportation, the deportation proceeding or the uh, the you know legal proceeding that could lead to deportation. So essentially, if they don't get you in the first 24 hours, they, they can't get you. That's what the liberals were saying. That was what the left was uh, upholding in this case. According to Reuters here, quote, Alito wrote that it is not the court's job to impose a time limit for when immigrants can be detained after serving a prison sentence. Alito noted that the court has previously said that an official's crucial duties are better carried out late than never. And he said that challenger's assertion that immigrants had to be detained within 24 hours of ending a prison sentence is especially hard to swallow. So a a victory for the federal government, and in this case, the Trump administration. Um, and this is just going to show you once again, the left is against enforcement of immigration laws, because right now, under federal law, under immigration law, if you're convicted of certain kinds of offenses, you are supposed to be held in detention during the deportation process. And liberals just basically said, well, we don't like that. And some judges came along and said, we don't like that. So we're not going to do that anymore. Well, that's the law. So then they said, OK, well, what we're going to do is say that, fine, you, you can you can hold somebody, but you have to get them the first 24 hours. This is really an extension of the sanctuary city mentality. Right? What, 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 what's what's really at, at heart uh, at, at the center of the sanctuary city debate? It's that local law enforcement under orders from remember local law enforcement works for the mayor or works for the town council or the city council or whatever. They are not allowed to hold people at the request of Immigration and Customs Enforcement because they have a detainer request in, which means they want to hold them for possible deportation proceedings. So, you know, you get arrested for being a, a, a drug dealer in Los Angeles and ICE wants to take custody of you to deport you. LAPD says, no, sorry, you know, we're just letting him out. We're not going to hold him until the feds get here to pick him up. Well, that's meant to frustrate federal law enforcement. That's all that is. That is local law enforcement for political reasons. And it's not and I'm not blaming the LAPD or law enforcement. They are acting on orders from their civilian bosses, in a sense. Right. The elected officials that make these policies. But that's local law enforcement working at cross purposes with federal law enforcement. And it's intentional. What's even worse is that there are some sanctuary jurisdictions that will not even notify Immigrations and Customs Enforcement that they have somebody in their custody who is an illegal to give ICE the option, just because they don't always say we're going to deport this person. ICE will make a determination. But to give ICE the ability to make a determination, they won't even tell them. So they won't tell ICE in many cases. They won't hold the person so ICE can get them. And all that is is using the resource shortages of the federal government, because they can't have ICE officers ever at all times, against them for the purposes of frustrating federal immigration law. That's it. 
Libs are always on the side of don't enforce immigration laws. That's where they, that's where they stand. Whenever there's an issue of enforcement, you can count on the on the left wing Democratic Party to side with. No, you can't do that. We can't enforce that. That's not valid. And these courts that have been just filled with Obama appointees now, fortunately, and Mitch McConnell does not get enough credit for this. But there are a lot of conservative judges now, thanks to Trump. Got to give the Trumpster a high five on this one, folks. A lot of conservative judges are now being put in the federal judiciary. But if you look at what Obama managed over the course of his eight years, I think uh, the before Trump came into office, I think about 25 to 30 percent of federal judges across the board were Obama appointees. So you have not just sanctuary jurisdictions, but also sanctuary judges, in a sense, doing everything in their power to make sure it's effectively impossible to enforce immigration law. You know, if if Democrats were at least open about how they don't believe in immigration law, I have an easier time with what they do, but they just lie about it. They say that they want to help enforce immigration law. They say they approve of open borders and that they want. But when push comes to shove, they're always opposed to the enforcement of these laws. They're always opposed to helping and assisting law enforcement to get these jobs done. You know, their actions speak much louder than their words on all of this. I mentioned I, I just got the final approval in place today to go down to El Paso. I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to it because I want to bring you that ground truth and I want to tell you what's going on. Um, but I also feel like it's going to be it's going to be very frustrating to see how overwhelmed the system is down there and and how little interest most of the media has in bringing ground truth the american people look there's nothing that says that we can't be an open borders country we but if that's what the democrats want we should have that debate as a country and they should pass legislation and just say anyone who wants to come can come let's have that debate i mean i think that would be the end of america but at least it would be on the up and up at least we'd be instead they pretend that's not what they want and they do everything they can to make sure that's what's happening you know you know, they, they, they pretend that they don't want their friend to drive home drunk. They say, oh, I wouldn't want that. And they keep giving him another shot, another shot. Hey, take another shot. You'll be fine. Oh, no, but I don't want him driving home drunk. Here's another shot. That's how Democrats are on immigration, on illegal immigration specifically. It is a national emergency. They've been lying about it. This, this month, you're going to see it's over. It's going to be over 100,000. I mean, that's why I'm going down there so I can see exactly what's happening and also be able to speak with some firsthand expertise on what's going on in the system. So I'm looking forward to being able to tell you about all that, but it's going to have to wait a couple weeks. Team, we have oh so much more in store for you. This show is just getting going. We will hit a, a quick moment of catching our breath. Take a breath. Bust out your acoustic guitar because Beto is going to be with you. Stay with me. When do you want to spot that burglar? When he's casing your home or after he's in? Ask John, whose Blink camera alerted him to burglars trying to break in while he and his family were home. Or Shannon, whose Blink camera caught a thief stealing packages. Both times, Blink video clips were sent to police to help convict the crooks. Blink motion-activated indoor and outdoor cameras are wire-free, set up in minutes, and run on two lithium batteries that last up to two years. And when you're away, Blink's live feed options lets you monitor your home and check in on kids and pets from anywhere using your Blink smartphone app. 
No contracts, no subscriptions, totally affordable. In fact, Blink systems start at just $799. $79.99. Thanks to Blink Home Security just got easier. Visit blinkprotect.com slash sale. Blinkprotect.com slash sale. Again, just $79.99 to get a system started up. Blinkprotect.com slash sale. Blink is an Amazon company and it works with Alexa. Those were kids who had blown off school in order to protest climate change at the International Student Climate Change Rally, which is a, apparently a real a real thing. Um, I, I just sit here and I think their chants are so stupid, it's hard to believe. Uh, their, their chants are so baseless that... I wonder how long they can continue with this before they're going to have to just admit that this is that, that there's some other issue, right? That, you know, how long can they say fossil fuels have got to go? We are nowhere near getting rid of fossil fuels. We are nowhere near um, being in a position to stop using. Fo- and in fact, we would starve and our economy would come to a halt. So what what is it that they think that they're really doing here? There, yeah, there are companies that work on renewable, that work on solar. I mean, there there are private sector and and uh, you know public sector entities that are researching this stuff. It's all happening. Do they really think it's going to happen faster if they go out there and bang, literally bang on some drums, and make some noise about this? I'm also just so uncomfortable with those were kids. These are high school kids. You know, I will say I was never once when I was in high school forced by any teacher to take any position or and certainly to go march in support of something political. And it was I remember when I was at the uh, I was in New York City for what was a a gun. You know, it was one of these anti-gun marches that they've been doing. You know, they have the march. It was the March for Life. Oh, no, not the pardon me, not the March for Life. Uh, March for Our Lives. Sorry, the March for Life is a great thing. It's a pro-life movement here in D.C., and I'm very supportive of it. It's the March for Our Lives. <laughs> that's that's what they. That's what it was. Uh, and they had all of these kids who were being paraded around, quite quite truly paraded around, you know, in the middle of the street, marching uh, with signs that say, you know, you know, if you want to save my life ban ban guns you know if you want to protect kids ban guns i think that that's abusive i i think it's wrong to push kids to take political positions that they have no no serious person can believe that a 10 year old understands national gun policy it's just not just it's not the case and and i think that it's wrong to to take people and to force them into these political positions like this uh, because you think that that's making some kind of an argument. When I see an adult who's marching around with their, and, and they had little kids too. I mean, there were toddlers. 
I even saw one kid who was on somebody's shoulders and, you know, was holding up a sign. I mean, they have little kids that are being marched around in order to make these arguments on guns, on climate change. And I find this to be a really troubling trend. I think this is new. I don't remember seeing this at least happening in quite the same way before. This this is now the, the, the progressive left mobilizing the youth in a way that we should all be concerned about. I mean, th- this is just not normal. And I, I don't think it's defensible either. And I have a lot of questions about the um, the judgment and the wisdom of individuals that would put their kids in these positions where they think that the kids should be uh, lecturing adults on very, very complicated issues. But, you know, then again, that brings me to this is not really about issues in many ways, right? For the left, they have an agenda that is issue-driven, but the political mobilization is emotion-based. What gets people fired up? What gets them angry at the other side? And that is an area where, unfortunately, they excel. That is an area where the left does very, very well. I thought this was really interesting. Uh, Somebody actually stood up and asked Beto, I just want to take questions because like I like the questioning process of the inquiry from you. It's like your spirit becomes a part of my spirit and we are one with the questioning. Uh, Play 18 here. This is when somebody said, do you actually have any real policy ideas? Play 18. When are we going to get an actual policy from you instead of just like platitudes and nice stories? Our criminal justice system, I've called for the end of the prohibition on marijuana and the expungement of the arrest records of everyone who's been arrested for marijuana. I've been doing that for a long time. On the question of health care, a proposal called Medicare for America that ensures that if you have employer-based insurance and you like it, you keep it. Your doctors, your network, what works for you right now. If you don't have insurance or you don't like the insurance you already have, you enroll in Medicare. I'm trying to describe not just the goal and the aspiration, but the path that we will take to get there. Okay, so other people have noticed, too, that Beto gets all this all this media love, all this. Oh, he's so amazing. He's so wonderful without actually really knowing what he's talking about or having to say at least what he wants Uh, on the issues. We'll have to put him through his paces a bit more and see if there's any real substance there if there's anything beyond just the the optics which is a a polite way of saying the superficialities that the media has become obsessed with in the case of beto o'rourke you know when are we going to get an actual policy from beto that is a very very good question um he does want i can tell you medicare for more which is just a waypoint to get closer to medicare for all which is ruinously expensive and would would bankrupt the country effectively. It just would be a slow motion bankruptcy. But we, we, could, we can't do it. This magic savings uh, situation that they talk about where if the government is in control of more, even more health care, uh, then it will cost less to give us health care. I've heard people try to make this case, make this argument. It, it's just nonsense. It, it does not add up at all. The numbers simply don't add up. But... Uh, you know, Beto right now, he's something of a cipher in the political scene. He's whatever you want him to be, especially if you're a female Democrat 
uh, or a an urban, I'm sorry, a suburban college educated, you know, white male, you know, from the from the Gen X era. You, you think that Beto has something special, has some X factor. And that's what they're banking on here. Um, I, I think that Trump would handily beat Biden. I, I would assume he'd beat Beto, too. But, you know, you just don't know. It's a crazy world we live in these days. And the media is still, despite all their dishonesty, very powerful in propping up these candidates. So it's not just some of the transcribed interviews that you're talking about, but it is additional information that is coming out that will show not only was there no collusion, but there was a coordinated effort to take this president down. Uh, We talk about the deep state. There are players now, even ambassadors that are sitting ambassadors that were involved in part of this with the FBI and DOJ. And so as we look at this, it's time that we we show the American people what's out there, uh, declassify some of those documents. I think when the American people see what I've seen, they will judge for themselves and know that this has all been a hoax. And I said, he's not worth it. It got your attention. I've been saying this for two years that he shouldn't be impeached. But when I said he's not worth it, then it got the press. And what he's not worth is the financial stability of America's working families. And that's what we're trying to correct. And when the time comes, we'll see. Ah, so now we see how the shift is going to happen. Now we see what the game is. It's been happening for a while. It's been building for quite a bit, but it could not be any more obvious at this point. As the walls are finally crumbling around the Russia collusion hoaxsters, you know what they're trying to do? act like they never really cared about this. And you know what? Trump's not worth it. They're not going to admit. They're not going to admit that they are not able to prove Russia collusion because maybe it didn't happen. They're never they're never going to admit that they will. They will leave this as a smear, as an intentional reputational stain on President Trump's legacy for all time. Because this is who the Democrats are. This is who the left is. They are dishonorable people. They don't care that they've put Trump and people through people around him through a lot of real discomfort and, and pain and loss, financial loss, loss of freedom, loss of, you know, of peace of mind. You know, they've really the left has used this Russia collusion hoax to be psychological terrorists against Trump and his inner circle for two years. And now that, as Mark Meadows points out, not only is collusion not what happened, the real collusion was among the DNC, Hillary Clinton, the Steele dossier, you know, people at the FBI, all trying to bring down Trump as a candidate and then justify that effort after the fact when Hillary won. I mean, (laughs) whoops, when Hillary lost. Pardon me. That's right. I won. No, she did not win. That is false. And that's also why you see all this conversation about uh, the Electoral College and how it's so unfair and it's so mean and it's so wrong. And, you know, she won the popular vote. The popular vote is not what determines the president. You know, I don't know how many times we have to go through this. Democrats are like a bunch of little babies. Oh, you popular vote. You won your popular vote. No one cares. That's like saying 
if you were running a marathon and somebody ran the fastest for the first 100 meters, well, I won the, I won the 100-meter dash. You're not running a 100-meter dash. You're running a marathon. You're not running a popular vote contest. That would change the nature of campaigning. It would change the nature of the ad buys. It would change the nature of the messaging. You're running a campaign to win the Electoral College. So Democrats can whine about this all day long and talk about, oh, the sanctity of our democracy. Meanwhile, you know, they, they talk about the need to protect institutions by kicking at the load-bearing walls of those institutions just to see what happens. But I got to tell you, on this uh, Russia collusion hoax, they, they are, we, we are going to have to be the ones that hold them to account because they're never going to admit that this whole thing uh, has just been in an absolute debacle from from top to bottom that they have so greatly in my estimation undermined speaking about undermining um undermining the faith that we all need to have in the fbi and the doj and these different true institutions of government that have a lot of power um they they just they just don't care they view this as a threat to their power. By the way, we have a little audio here from Devin Nunes on his Twitter. Uh, speaking of institutions, on his whole suit against Twitter. And I, there's some stuff in there that Devin Nunes is obviously going to get heat for. I mean, there's some embarrassing Twitter stuff, but everybody's got it. Everyone who's in public life has stuff on Twitter that's said about them that's embarrassing and mean. Um, but I, I think that he's onto something here by pushing this lawsuit. Play clip two. How is it that every day uh, there's conservatives that are being banned? So, you know, look, they don't want to call it shadow banning. That's fine. They can call it whatever they want to call it. But the fact of the matter is, is people could not see my tweets. Okay. so now. But if you move forward, if you get emails from Twitter, it's constantly left wing stuff. It's constantly fake news stuff. How is it possible that I can be attacked relentlessly hundreds of times a day by fake accounts that they claim in their in their terms of service should not be there. Every American should care about this if they care about the First Amendment because the press has definitely changed. The press is dead. And that's why if we don't go and clean this up, this is part of the continuing Russia investigation. We're not going to just let all these fake news stories that were written about this investigation, about this hoax, that were lies, we're going to challenge every single one of them in court. We're just starting with Twitter. I like it. Fight back, man. We've been through so much. We, the American people who aren't on board for the weaponization of the DOJ and, and the investigative processes of the special counsel for petty political ends. We've been through a lot. I say it's time to fight back a bit. I like Devin Nunes' spirit here with this. And I do think we should look into whether Twitter unduly influenced the election. I mean, if Twitter is operating as a publisher and favoring Democrats, that has so much more influence over the election than some Russian bot accounts. It's not even close. And you could say, Buck, it's a private company. But to that, I would say, well... There are a lot of media disclosure requirements out there for other companies. You know, remember, you have to put things like, you know, this ad was paid for by this. There, there's Democrats are always, oh, get money out of politics. They want transparency, they say. They want to know where the money's coming from, who's doing what for whom. And if social media platforms are acting as arms of the DNC and doing so in stealth, guess what? 
That's a problem. That's an FEC problem. And that could be a DOJ problem, as in looking at how we regulate these things, whether they should be broken up, and and what the truth is behind the scenes about how they're moving the conversation left in this country all the time. So we'll continue to watch this one, team. Some very, very important threads, very important elements all, all coming together in this Nunes lawsuit. I'm hoping to interview him soon, so stay tuned for that. What do you make of the direction the Democratic Party is going in as a whole right now? There's a lot of people running. Some are qualified. Some are completely inexperienced, by the way, which I find shocking that they would consider themselves qualified. I'm not going to give you their names. Uh, you guessed but, my follow-up but, but, question. Let, but let it, let it sort out. So that's Jamie Dimon. He's the uh, CEO of J.P. Morgan. and Or is it Morgan Stanley? It's just J.P. Morgan. I always get them confused. He's a bank. He's a banker guy, right? He's uh, very, very wealthy, very influential, very powerful. And you may say, "Well, Buck, I don't, I don't really care. I don't really care what this guy says about anything, except for the fact that he is part of that class of elites that have much more influence at the top levels of government, and you know, much more um, ability to move the political conversation than." Uh, than you would, you know, than, than any one individual you would think usually could, right? I mean, there's there's a lot that Jamie Dimon can do behind the scenes. I'm sure he probably, you know, is, I don't know if he talks to Trump or not, but he's the kind of guy who could get on the phone with the White House. I think it's so interesting that he's being asked about qualified candidates because it is obvious to anyone who's being serious that the Democrats are putting forward people right now who, uh, the qualification, Beto O'Rourke, Pete Buttigieg, um, I can't even name all the all these candidates that are out there. I mean, some of them are really, uh, you know, I- individuals of minimal. And we mentioned Andrew Yang before. He's got some interesting ideas, but you know, we're talking about people of minimal achievement professionally, and they're being put forward. And, and it's it's worth noting from from my perspective at least that the Democrat Party that for the last three years, because it goes back into the election cycle as well has been telling us that Trump wasn't Trump wasn't smart enough was he wasn't good enough he wasn't smart enough and gosh darn it no but really they were saying that he wasn't a uh, wasn't a candidate that we should take seriously even though he ended up winning because he doesn't have the intellect and the background and the political experience and now here we are after a few years of Trump doing a pretty good job as president and they're putting forward people that no serious person thinks no serious person thinks are serious candidates or, or rather should be treated seriously. But we are kind of in a in an era of political post seriousness now. Um, and, and that Jamie Dimon, who's a guy who he's liberal, but he understands how business works. He understands how he, and he was vilified during the whole Occupy Wall Street era. Uh, he, he's someone who has to live in the real world and. Uh, he, 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 I think, is watching what's happening right now in this election cycle with the Democrat side so far. And he's got to be thinking to himself, these guys are whacked out. Uh, these guys really haven't have an issue here um, because and I have heard and this takes me to the uh, the Howard Schultz town hall that Fox News is going to be hosting soon. I've heard and I think he may have even said this publicly now. That if one of the socialist candidates turns out to be the Democrat nominee, Bernie Sanders plans on 
Um, I'm sorry, Howard Schultz, rather, not Bernie Sanders. Howard Schultz plans on running a third-party candidate or running as a third-party candidate. Uh, Howard Schultz is going get to get in the mix. Now, you got to think to yourself that that's a pretty powerful incentive for the Democrats to stay with a more centrist candidate. But I do think that there is, at some level, a revelation among the remember the democrats plenty of democrat billionaires you know there's the ones you know because they're so politically active right there's uh, there's soros obviously and there's tom steyer and there's oprah and there's you know all these democrats and bloomberg billionaire democrats that are running around super rich and I think that the wealthy the, the the very wealthy democrats are seeing a little bit of this eat the rich mentality that's coming out of this uh, coming out of this primary and, and thinking or, you know, this early stage of the Democratic race for the nomination, they're thinking to themselves, maybe this is for real. Maybe they really do want a, a major wealth tax and they, and they want to take, uh, you know, or now then you'll get into the, the people that will really be upset by. Very, very high taxes on earnings aren't billionaires because billionaires, it doesn't matter. They never have to earn any money ever again. But people that are millionaires, when you start saying you're going to tax their earnings at 70 percent or 80 percent, they 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 don't like that because that money to them makes a difference. They think that's a problem. And I think Democrats are realizing that you know, the inmates might be running the asylum here pretty soon unless they get a handle on things. Jamie Dimon certainly recognizes it. He says some of these guys are completely inexperienced. It's absolutely true. And not only are they completely inexperienced, their ideas and their policies are not so. I mean, just off the wall. So you've got people with, I mean, this is the Ocasio-Cortez effect. You have people that have a tremendous amount of influence and sway and don't really know, you know, don't really know how the world functions in any meaningful sense. And they're the ones that are determining the direction of the Democrat Party right now. Oh, one other quick note here I thought was interesting from Diamond. Uh, you hear from so many people that Trump was crazy with these China tariffs and how could he be so, so insane and all this other stuff. Play 15 here. So we heard last week from former White House economic advisor Gary Cohn, who said pretty bluntly, uh, tariffs, quote, don't work. Yeah. And he pointed to the numbers we saw that, that stunned me. I mean, you've got an $891 billion trade deficit, $419 billion deficit in goods, both records after the president said, you know, I can solve this. Is Gary Cohn right? They don't work? I would, I, I like Gary. I, let me say, I agree with him. They don't work technically because they cause all these various things. Yeah. But if the president were here, he'd say they worked. I got them to the table and no one else did. So is the president so, so, right? So it's a strat negotiating strategy. It might have worked. Yes. Oh, wait, you mean somebody who knows a lot about business and making money thinks that President Trump was right? And all of these naysayers who said tariffs were crazy. And I look, a lot of conservatives were also, oh, a tariff is a tax, a tariff is a tax. Right. So we are being taxed by China, but we do not tax in response to get them to stop taxing us. It took Trump to come along and say, I don't care what the conventional wisdom is on this. I want to be in a position where we can sit down and actually try to make some progress on this issue. You know, it, it took somebody with Trump's mindset, Trump's ability to just tune out all the noise from the consensus intelligentsia. You know, I always say to people, don't 
don't seek security in the false uh, or don't don't seek false security in, in consensus. It, it's not just because other people and look, I'm the one who's running around saying that there shouldn't be athletic recruiting that uh, destroys or eliminates academic standards in colleges, just period as a rule. They shouldn't do that anymore. I don't care that everyone thinks I'm wrong on that, although not everyone does. Um, I, I think my argument is sound, and I think that I'm right. So I, I'm not. This show is not about trying to find the consensus, my friends, not in any sense. And on tariffs, I listened. You know this. I listened to what Trump had to say, and I worked it through with you on this show. We had Derek Scissors, a, a really excellent guy on, on trade over at AI, come on. He's like, no, Trump's right. Some of this stuff needs to be renegotiated. Oh, but wait a second. Isn't this another way of saying that Trump, it turns out, with his business experience, did know some things, did have some good ideas, not just ideas, but ideas that he was willing to put forward where he was right and the consensus was wrong. You think you're going to get that from Pete Buttigieg or Beto? Yeah, like I just I just want everyone to agree on everything about like how much we all want to agree because if we take our energy and we just like morph it all together, like we take our internal chi and we collaborate and we build a better future with it. And that's what the Democrats offer, folks. Platitudes and nonsense. When it comes to buying wine, most people's selections have nothing to do with taste. Instead, they base their decisions on which bottle looks the best or what's on sale. Well, thankfully, now there's First Leaf, the wine club that makes it easy to discover new wines that you'll love. First Leaf has created a club experience customized to you. By rating the wines you receive, First Leaf determines your likes and dislikes, and using a custom algorithm and professionally trained wine concierge team, they only send you wines you love. You know, I just started this myself. I answered three quick questions about my wine drink preferences, and then First Leaf created an introductory six-pack of wine for me, all for just $29.99. It's amazing. You've got to try this for yourself. Sign up with my link, and you'll get an exclusive intro offer. Six bottles of wine for only $29.95 plus shipping just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash buck that's tryfirstleaf.com slash buck six bottles of wine for only 29.95 plus shipping tryfirstleaf.com slash buck it never ceases to amaze me how completely unself-aware and, and what a bunch of self-loving bozos the mainstream media, the, the upper ranks particularly of the mainstream media are comprised of and how much they love themselves and think they're so great and they're so brave and they're so strong. I mean, uh, let me tell you this right now. Overwhelmingly, mainstream news, mainstream media, TV anchors are overpaid, underread, and not very nice. Not all of them. Some of them are great. Some of them are lovely people. And some of them, I'm sure, are good people. Uh, but overwhelmingly, it's a profession that draws a kind of narcissistic personality um, that has also had to fight for a job that a thousand other people could do. Anyway, that's just a little background for you. CNN has gotten an award. In fact, Jake Tapper over at CNN has gotten an award Uh, This is from his official account. Congrats to Jake Tapper and everyone at CNN who helped put together the Parkland Town Hall for the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas students, families and community. Today, they have been honored. Jake Tapper 
and CNN have been honored with the Walter Cronkite Award for Excellence in Television Political Journalism. That's right, baby. The Cronkite Award for the gun town hall that was among the most unbelievably shameful, disgusting TV news things I, I have ever, I have ever seen. I mean, it was here, here, a little trip down memory lane. They're, they're getting a Cronkite award for a town hall where they invited Dana Lash, my old colleague and friend from the blaze. We used to work together at the blaze for years. They invited Dana Lash on as NRA spokesperson and this is what it sounded, and we could have played, there's so much of this audio, and some of it's really profane and horrible, but this is what the audio sounded like as Dana, this is the forum that CNN set up to have a real discussion about gun violence. Play 20. I have so many thoughts on this. You know, I've always uh, liked and gotten along with Dana. And I, I, I know Dana's husband. I know that she's a, a great and proud mom of, of some wonderful kids. And she's walking out there to talk about, and she really did engage and talk about gun, poli- gun laws, gun policy, what could be done. And people are yelling at her as though she is personally responsible. And these are CNN watchers, obviously. CNN loons, which is what their audience is comprised of. As though she is personally responsible for the deaths of all of those young people at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. I mean, it's, it's idiocy for anyone to think that, but it's also dangerous idiocy. Because if one really believes, as apparently that CNN audience of of fools and clowns, if one really believes that Dana is responsible for, she is personally responsible for the deaths of all those young people, then what is acceptable retaliation against her? I'll let you think about that for a moment. This, uh, this woman who has had an incredible rise in her career, I, I have a lot of respect for, and has always been nothing but a, a courteous and, and uh, friendly professional to me. What do these people think should happen to Dana? I mean, and I ask that in an open-ended fashion, but they're screaming shame on you. She, she had nothing to do with this shooting. But CNN, for setting up this, you know, uh, th- this forum for abuse, which is what it was, is, is getting a Cronkite Award, folks. Dana responded to this today. Curious, where is my share of the award? You needed a villain to abuse, and I was the only one on the stage relating the facts later cited as the exact reasons why the sheriff you exalted was removed from his job. Let me know when I can expect an on-air invite for acknowledgement. Yep. Yep. I mean, this is an absolute absolute joke of of an award i mean i cannot believe they did this dana Dana went on a tear on twitter on this one some interesting notes cnn proud of this walter cronkite award-winning town hall uh here's some video of it some interesting notes cnn set this up like a wwe event purposefully they allowed scott israel to take the stage 
before the cameras turned on and electioneer. He took that time, about 20 minutes, to start blaming law-abiding gun owners. When the producers cued me to walk into the arena, it was to the Black Eyed Peas song, Let's Get It Started. I am completely serious. I was shocked and confused. While I knew I was taking questions, we were only told that day that I would actually be on stage. After the broadcast ended, one of my, de- one of my security detail had to stop a woman who rushed the stage to tackle me from behind. That is when Tapper asked me if I had an escort out. I am positive that CNN's cameras, still operational, observed this and would like for them to release the footage. I showed up in good faith for genuine conversation, knowing that at best it would be a tough event. The lengths CNN PR went to inflame emotions and exploit pain to put on a show is inexcusable, shameful, and it's grotesque that they're celebrating getting an award for their conduct. Amen, Dana. Absolutely. She also writes, Those with integrity would reject this absolute sham of an award, but narratives and ratings, congrats on the show, CNN. Applause, applause. God bless you, Dana. Absolutely. And then, in case this wasn't enough, Thanks, she writes, Jake Tapper, for unfollowing me after I criticized the award your company won. I'm not sorry that I was more prepared than you and your network to call out the failures of Scott Israel while CNN celebrated his failures that led to this awfulness. Um, even, after, even afterwards, I was cordial and kind to Jake. I appreciated the situation he was put in, but if he can't handle my legitimate criticism... And deserved criticism of his network's behavior. Well, then go be a company man. That's a real shame. Yeah, that's right. The most psychotically thin-skinned person in media, Jake Tapper. Dana now knows this too. You criticize him in any way, even in the slightest way, at your peril. Uh, As many, many conservatives that I know have found out to their shock and amusement. Uh, It would be fun. One one day, uh, one day... One day, Jake and I are going to have a serious disagreement. There's another movie quote for you. Uh, Dana is spot on here. CNN is a joke. Should be embarrassed by this. Of course, they're not embarrassed by this at all. But CNN is a is a joke. And uh, the fact that they give out things like a Cronkite Award, I can assure you I will never get an award for journalism. Do you know what my award is for this show? That you listen to it. That it matters because you choose to be a part of this. I don't want an award. What, I'm going to get a little trophy? Oh, I want a trophy. I'm going to put it on my, my mantle in the fireplace. I didn't even have a fireplace to put the mantle on to put the trophy on. Anyway, God bless Dana Lash for uh, standing strong on this one. We'll be right back. Isn't it a great feeling when you get a $100 bill that you just happen to find because it's inside of a jacket that you haven't used for ages? Maybe it's in an old wallet. It's a great feeling, right? Well, imagine finding hundreds of dollars in the papers that are just sitting around your filing cabinet or up in the attic. But, you know, it's from that old 401k paperwork from the job you had before last, one you probably don't think about anymore. Well, while that money's just sitting there gathering financial dust, guess what? It could be working much harder in a precious metals 
IRA. My friends at Noble Gold can see if you qualify and they'll do all the heavy lifting for you. This could make you a whole bunch and cost you nothing. Give Noble Gold a call at 877-646-5347 or text my name, Buck, to 511-511 and receive their free investor's guide. Plus, for all qualified IRAs above $20,000, they'll include a complimentary rare graded Morgan Silver Dollar valued at $150. Text Buck to 511-511. Noble Gold Investments. Individual results may vary. Invest wisely. Standard tax rates may apply. Speaking of admissions and all of the different uh, concerns over admissions and what does it mean for the meritocracy and what does it mean for our society? You know, because here's the here's the promise that we have. Here's what we are told that selective schools, these selective institutions, they will um, first and foremost, prioritize academics over everything else. That, that, that's, and we know that's not really true at the college and university level. There are a whole lot of different ways that you can get in, whether it's sports or legacy or minority status, all kinds of things that factor in. But there are some other unique admission situations that confound the social justice left because they don't really have a ready argument for it. They don't know what to say unless they're going to claim that there's a, that, that math is somehow a function of bias, which I think there are some on the left who will claim that. I don't know how they make an argument here, but this is where this, this is where the social justice left gets all tied up into, into knots. It's a story in the New York Times. I've mentioned this school before. It's about Stuyvesant High School in New York City. Now, little moment here where I get to say I got into Stuyvesant High School for those who I took the test with thousands and thousands of other students. And sure enough, I passed. Yay me. But I ended up going to a Catholic scholarship school instead. That's right. I went to school on a four year full academic scholarship, about one hundred thousand dollars scholarship. So there was that. I know a little pat on the back for Buck. It's been a rough week or so. I need a little pat on the back for myself. Hope you don't mind, team. Uh, but I know the Sty situation. They call it Sty Stuyvesant uh, High School situation pretty well because it is a school where you take a test and your score determines whether you get in. Well, here's the problem for the social justice left: it doesn't work out the way they would want it to based on the numbers. Out of eight hundred and ninety-five spots. For this is considered by many the most selective and elite public high school in the country, in all of America. This is considered number one. Out of 895 spots, it's purely based on a test. No legacy, no sports, no nothing else. You show up, you take that test, your score is whether you get in or not. 895 spots, seven black students got in. So out of 895 spots, you had seven black students. Ten were admitted last year. Um, There's a secondary secondary, uh, school as well called the Bronx High School of Science. They made 12 offers to black students this year. Now, when I say offers, this is all based on a test. This is just the numbers. This is who gets what right. Now, what do you think the left does when they see this? What, What is their response? Oh, 
they want to change this. This is unacceptable. This is a, an entirely, this is a pure merit-based admission system. In New York City, very visible, very famous public school. Guess what? We mentioned the show Hackers. You know where the students in Hackers go to school, folks, from that movie? Boom, Stuyvesant. That's right. In the movie Hackers, they are attending. We're bringing this whole thing full circle this hour. They are students at Stuyvesant High School. Although they're like 30-year-old actors playing high school kids, but that's something else. This is what the New York Times writes here. These numbers come despite Mayor Bill de Blasio's vow to diversify these specialized high schools, which have long been seen as a ticket for low-income and immigrant students to enter the nation's best colleges and embark on successful careers. But Mr. de Blasio's proposal to scrap the entrance exam for the schools and overhaul the admissions process has proved so divisive that the state's most prominent politicians, from Governor Andrew Cuomo to Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, have mostly avoided taking a a definitive position, even as black and Hispanic students are grappling with uh, increasingly steep odds of admission into the most selective public schools. You know why? This is the reason they are flummoxed by this. The reason that they aren't already saying, well, let's just create new rules that will change who gets in and who doesn't. And the reason is because the uh, the school, and by the way, there's a whole bunch of these schools, Bronx High School of Science, Brooklyn Tech, Brooklyn Latin. These are all elite test-based public schools. At Stuyvesant, seven out of 895 students are black. At Bronx High School of Science, 12 out of 803 students are black. At Brooklyn Technical, 95 out of 1,825 students are black. I mean, you're in single digits out of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of of students at all these schools. And it's all about one exam. Do you know why they, they can't figure out what to do about this? Who do you think is getting into these schools at a disproportionate rate? Is it is it? rich white kids with all their white privilege and they're just drowning in all the white privilege they have. It's just so easy because they're white. Oh, no, that's not the case at all. Stuyvesant High School is 74% Asian American. Three out of four students at Sty are Asian American. So do they have Asian American privilege? Does someone want to try to explain this to me? Well, h- how does the left grapple with this? Well, what do they want to say? Where, where's the, they, they're so reliant on this, this idiocy of white privilege, white privilege all the time. That's what they're always saying, right? Attacking people for their white privilege. You got to admit your white privilege. 74% of them are Asian American, Asian Americans. A lot of them are first generation immigrants, by the way. Many of them have students. Uh, Many of the students have parents who don't speak English as a first language or barely speak English at all. And they're acing an exam, a highly competitive exam. I mean, the Stuyvesant is like it was like my high school. It's the equivalent of a hundred thousand dollar scholarship, maybe more. It's probably one hundred and twenty thousand dollars now. That's that's about what a private high school in New York City is going to cost you over four years. So what's the answer here? Are they going to just start telling these Asian students who have no advantage. And oh, and before we hear about how it's all poverty based, in fact, in the New York City area, Asians have the greatest rates of of poverty in the city. As a percentage of of their uh, of the overall population. 
Asian-American students would drop by half under Mayor de Blasio's new plan. That's right. That's the plan here. Just cut out. They, they have a view. The central planners of the social justice movement have a view of how many people from how many backgrounds should be in these schools. This is quotas, my friends. This is very damaging. They won't call it that. That's what it is. They want to tell a bunch of very deserving, very hardworking Asian-American kids, because that's who this is going to affect. Sorry, you don't get to come here. We need more black and Latino students because we say so. But where is the Asian-American advantage in the system? Why are they able to do so well and get into schools at, at these rates? Does the left even ask these questions? I think the answer is no. They don't ask these questions because they don't want to have to even try to come up with answers. This is where you expose the fraudulence, the intellectual fraudulence of intersectionality in the social justice movement. They don't want to ask tough questions. They just want to propagandize. Although I do. Yeah, here we go. Just just some of you probably figure that I I made that up uh, about Asian-Americans. It's true about this is from the Huffington Post, a left wing site. Asian-Americans have the highest poverty rate in NYC. Um, but stereotypes make the issue invisible. Asian-Americans do have, there are more Asian-Americans living in poverty in New York City than any other minority group, and yet three out of four of the top spots in the most elite public schools in the largest city in the United States are held by Asian-Americans. Why is that? They have no white privilege. They have no financial advantage. Oh, you mean because there are things like family structure and... And, uh, and a, a, a culture of, of work and studiousness that, no, we, we, you know what, we can't, let's not talk about that. Let's just put, let's just put quotas in place, folks, because that's really going to, that's really fair. This is the left's answer because they have no answers. It's ridiculous. Now, I'm not going to say I'm a trendsetter, but I'm not going to say I'm not. Or perhaps a better way of putting it is maybe I'm, I'm ahead of the curve a little bit on this one. I wrote last week about how college admissions should not be bent should not be distorted for recruiting athletes to university campuses college campuses that this this is uh, this has gotten completely out of control a lot of colleges and universities have turned into sports franchises with classrooms attached to them it's just it's just nuts and this is something that culturally we really i know it's a huge thing but culturally we really need to rethink where this is in our society. I'm not saying no sports. I'm not even saying no super competitive sports at colleges. I'm just saying we need to stop with any of the lies here. You know, we, we should not have people who can barely read graduating from UNC Chapel Hill or from University of Michigan because they run really fast or they jump really high or they're really strong or whatever. That should not be happening. And it does happen. I'll never forget when they, they did a, an expose of this a few years ago and a guy who was a lineman on a football team was he had taken, I think, four years of Swahili. I think it was four years. It might have only been one year, but I think he took four years of Swahili. And they asked him in the interview. This was on Real Sports, I believe, with uh, Brian Gumble. They asked him, can you say you took Swahili language as a, as a full credit course here? Can you say one word in Swahili? Who wants to guess? How many words he could say in Swahili, this Chapel Hill football play? Zero. Wow, that must have been quite a course load he was taking. Well, some other people are starting to think a little bit more about this, too. 
New York Times, admission scandal stokes hard questions on recruited athletes. Hmm. Happy learned how to putt. Quote, some students were accepted as recruited athletes even though they did not play the sports described in their applications. They gained an advantage through the widespread practice of allocating a certain number of admission spots to athletes who might not get in otherwise. This process has been followed for decades in the pursuit of competitive teams, which burnish a university's university's reputation, inspire alumni loyalty, and often help with fundraising. Now, the fraud case has sent a thunderbolt through the higher education community. Quote, every college president in America called his athletic director the morning after that admissions fraud story broke and asked, how do we make sure this doesn't happen at our school? A broad overhaul of athletic admission systems in Division One, the highest level of NCAA competition and the level the colleges in the scheme compete in has been overdue, according to several athletic administrators reviewed, interviewed in recent days. Battles over blue chip recruits in football and basketball already tend to be heavily scrutinized. In those upper echelon sports, if there's money changing hands, it is from coaches to recruits, not the other way around. Uh, But in lower profile sports like crew, volleyball, tennis and soccer, often called the Olympic sports, there's been more room for bribes and exploitation. Yup, folks. This whole thing, there's the scams with college athletics recruiting are everywhere and they undermine these institutions and it's just not worth it. The top tier of schools for the biggest sports should have special programs in place for athlete scholars, not scholar athletes who get paid a salary, who get a share of the revenue from the NCAA that they're making and the school is making. And yes, they take classes and they get an education, but there's no more of this pretense that, oh, they they got in only partially because of sports, but they're also really great students. Bull crap. We all know it's a lie. They need to stop with that nonsense. If it wasn't a lie, they wouldn't need to do the special recruiting. Ah, man. So... Look at this. The world is coming around to Buck's point of view on this one a little bit. A week ago, I was crazy. Now, when it comes to college athletics recruiting, I'm only a little bit crazy. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for Roll Call. Got a little dubstep going on. Gets gets us gets everybody in the mood. Dubstep gets everybody in the mood for roll call. John is our first up. Remember Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton. John is first into the mix. Right. Hackers reference reminds me of the time I called you and quoted hackers and you nailed it. The quote was, it's in that place I put that thing that time. You need to bring back the movie game and I miss commie bear. John. I, don't, I felt like people weren't as into Action Movie Quote Friday after the first year of the show, but I'm, I'm willing to bring it back. But it's really just a function of, do the folks, you know, I, I listen to the team. Does the team call in when we do Action Movie Quote Friday? Do they want it or do they think that it's, you know, it was a nice way that we all got to know each other. I don't know if people are, but it's a good Friday thing. I'm, let me think about it. And Commie Bear, indeed, the problem with Commie Bear is that you can't make any jokes these days without getting in trouble. And I wonder if even doing a little Soviet bear 
and I'd probably get in trouble. You know, is he allowed to say that he likes that he likes T Swift? I don't know. Maybe 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 the 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 feminazis will come after me. Adam writes. The movie was Hackers. Do I get an honorary black belt? Adam, you do get an honorary imaginary black belt. I just sent it to you through the brainwaves. I hope you wear it with pride. Shields high. Adam, come out to the coast. Have a few laughs. You can't sneak Die Hard by that easily, Adam. Well played, sir. You also get an imaginary. Maybe we'll send you a red belt. I don't know if you're quite black belt with that one. That's a little easy. Red belt is... What was the highest karate belt? I feel like there were... Remember what all the different belts had all the colors? Do you know what I'm talking about? Purple, green, Brandon? yellow. Yeah, there was like green and yellow and and brown. And brown, I think, usually came before black, but then there was red. And it's like, well, red looks cooler than even the black belt. So, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying. And then there's like a sash with different gold stripes on it and stuff. There was a lot of, a lot of belts, as Bruce Lee said. Belts are important for holding up your pants. Keith, I was listening to your podcast and did, in fact, catch the reference to a great movie called Hackers. Hack the Planet was part of the message to hint where the floppy disk was hidden at the train station. A very young Angelina Jolie played Kate. Indeed, Keith, that is true. I saw that movie Hackers many, many times. Matthew Lillard, who would go on to star in Summer Catch, which also had starring in it the Jessica Biel in her absolute movie prime. Uh, That has nothing to do with anything. I just want to say that Summer Catch is my favorite Jessica Biel movie. Her acting in it is absolutely atrocious, but she's still amazing. As an actress, I respect her skills and her craft. That's right. That's what I'm saying. Gotta be careful with the feminazis running around. Matthew, love your show. Was very happy to meet you last year at Talk Tank in Fort Wayne. Once again, I bought a VIP ticket this year. A super VIP. See you on April 13th, sir. Shields high. Matthew, thank you so much, man. I I really appreciate the support. Having people who are part of the team to show up and and hang out at Talk Tank is going to make a big difference as to how much fun I think I will have and everybody will have who's there. Um, it is for, if you're listening to this on WoWo or if you're anywhere near the Fort Wayne, Indiana area, it's going to be Todd Starnes, Buck Sexton, Tommy Laren, all in Fort Wayne for Talk Tank. And it's going to be awesome. April 13th, April 13th. So uh, get excited about it. It's going to be amazing. Looking forward to it. Talk to you then. Uh, and if you just type in whoa, whoa, W-O-W-O and Talk Tank, you'll be able to see it. Please, please do come out. We're going to have a lot of fun. Tommy and I, are, we're, we're going to do an event, but then we're all just going to hang out afterwards and you know talk to people and it'll be good things. Good things. William, I believe all conservatives should from now on only refer to Robert Francis by his hacker name, Psychedelic Warlord. That is all. Shields high. William, you got a good point, man psychedelic warlord that's that's a <laughs> that's an amazing ha- yeah my name my hacker name was psychedelic warlord because it's like i could just get into your head and spread all the positive vibes even if you didn't want me to but like beto knows what's up with the psychedelic warlord yeah, man, we're going to I'm glad that we've already got a Beto character going. We're going to make good use of it because I don't think he's 
Gotta be honest with you. I don't think he's going anywhere, folks. I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, let's see. Michael. Hey, Buck. So the media says over and over that Trump is a white supremacist. Then they act surprised when actual white supremacists believe them. My point is that New Zealander shooter doesn't think Trump is a racist because Trump is actually a racist. He believes it because the media told him to believe it. Shields high, Michael. Uh, Michael, you know, I, I, I don't know what that guy really thought. I mean, I read his whole manifesto, which people always say that now there's uh, this trend of don't name the shooter, don't read his manifesto, don't watch anything he did. Well, but what about people like me that make a living analyzing and understanding and presenting the news. I feel like I have an obligation to dig deep into what's really going on here. I mean, I don't pretend to be a psychiatrist or anything, but I, I do think that I need to have access to the information. I know what the heck is going on. So there is that. Uh, in New Zealand, I think they've made it illegal to share the, the video of the massacre itself on social media. I, I disagree with that. I do not think you can criminalize newsworthy information and the distribution of newsworthy information just because you are trying to dampen the knowledge of the event. I, th I think that that's wide open for abuse. I really do. You know, think about the libs in this country who want to shut down different discussions and don't want to, you know, have certain topics explored. They may say, well, you know, we, we can't have a real we, we, we can't have this person who's discussing their transition to being transgender and then wanting to come back. You know, that that could be dangerous for people. They can't. So we need to suppress that. We need to suppress it. That's what liberals do. We have to remember this. Uh, so I disagree with decisions that are intended to shut down the spread of information and, and knowledge about news events because it will be abused. And someone like me has to be able to see what's really going on in order to have a full understanding of the facts. You know, I read, I say, I, I, it's going to sound like I'm lazy and on the couch all day, but I was going to say, I sit around all day reading, uh, but I spend my entire day effectively researching and preparing for this show. And those of you who listen to the show do me the great honor of giving me your time and and interacting with me online, with calls, with emails, so that we have an ongoing conversation about all these things, about what matters, about what's happening. But in that preparation process, I need access to as much information as possible, not just online, but my sources and everything else. My old dusty books. We haven't had an old dusty books session with Buck in a while. You know, I've got an idea that I'm going to present to you. And some of you will weigh in on this one on Facebook. I, I've got this cool idea. So I know a fair amount of former spec ops veterans, right? I've, I've got a number of friends, former SEALs, former Army Rangers, former uh, Marine. Uh, so I think that a really cool idea, and maybe somebody's already doing this, but I should talk to my friends over at uh, Softrep and, and the Blaze and Black Rifle, because, I mean, somebody should be doing this which is kind of a mystery science theater, but watching movies that are not, not silly action movies like Commando and things like that, but watching movies like Triple Frontier, which I think I mentioned to you I saw on Netflix, is pretty good, and talk about the tactics and what's realistic and what's not and what was well done. I just think that would be a really cool concept. You get two or three. It would, three is, the I think, the optimum number, maybe four. Three or four spec ops vets who watch... 
a movie, you know, who watch a movie like Zero Dark Thirty or Triple Frontier or Black Hawk Down and just talk about, you know, kind of a, be, you know, behind the scenes reality of what what looks right and what doesn't. I don't know. I think that'd be a cool idea for a show. So maybe I'll if you guys like that idea, let me know. Maybe I'll reach out and see if I could arrange that at some point. We got to get everyone in one place, though. And I don't know if we could actually watch the movie in real time, like Mystery Science Theater. Maybe we just discuss a movie and we play some clips from it. But see, I got all the all the creative juices are flowing. Eric writes, Buck, love the show. The March 14th movie quote is Archimedes the Owl from Sword in the Stone. Damn, Eric. Good call and good memory. Look at you, man. Not missing a beat. Not missing a beat. Paul writes, love your radio show, especially impersonations. Keep up the great work and God bless you from a retired military vet. Listen to you on WBUV and WRNO. Well, Paul, thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. Thank you for your service to this country. And it is an honor to have you a part of Team Buck, my friend. Please keep listening and please tell your friends. You know, they, they might not have heard of the Buck Sexton show or the Freedom Hut or anything else. And the best way that this show grows is by people like you who are already in the, the community of conservative patriots out there telling your fellow conservative patriots. So please do pass it along. Uh, Stephen writes, I absolutely 100% wholeheartedly agree to the core of my soul. College sports recruitment is ridiculousness. Well, Stephen, I'm so glad people think that I'm crazy. And then when I talk them through what happens and what's going on, they all kind of end up saying, yeah, I guess you're right. And yeah, you know, this college recruiting thing is ridiculous. College is about education. It's not about your win loss record for the hockey team. I'm sorry. It does not matter. And bending academic or breaking academic standards in order to bring people into certain institutions, pretend that they can do the work just so you might get an extra W, it sets a terrible precedent. It really does. It sets a bad example for the rest of the academic community. Colleges are not minor league sports teams. And I know we're going to March Madness. Are we already in March Madness? It's like I'm barely American. I don't even know this. Uh, Brandon, are we in March Madness? It's about to you're, start. I think. I'm, I'm more. You're American. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not big into, I'm not big into college real, sports, though. But. You're a real American, unlike me, some <laughs> commie from Manhattan. Um, anyway, yeah, I, I know that this is, it's not a popular point of view, but I'm right. So I, I prefer to be right than to be popular on issues. So there you have it, uh, at least on some issues. Hey, it's Wayne in upstate New York. Shields High. How about we pronounce it Veto? I don't understand what you're talking about, Wayne, but I appreciate the note, my man. Thanks for listening up in upstate New York. Shields high. All right, team, that's going to be it for today's show. It has been fantastic. It has been joyous. It has been wonderful. Only because of your presence, though. I will talk to you all tomorrow. Same time, same place. Shields high. Look, you've probably heard of the AARP. I just drove by their headquarters here in D.C. the other day. You know, it's really well known. But what's not nearly as well known is that the AARP is pretty progressive. They really wanted Obamacare to get passed, and they support all kinds of Democrat left-wing agenda items behind closed doors. That's why I want to get you all the benefits, all the good stuff that you get from an organization like that, but conservative policies. That's why I recommend AMAC. AMAC is the conservative alternative to AARP. 
It allows you to know that you're going to get all the best discounts on car insurance, hotels, roadside assistance, dental plans, even cell service options, while also pushing for conservative solutions for this country's future. Stand with AMAC as they fight the good fight. Become a member today. Join right now at amac.us slash buck. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S slash buck. AMAC is better, better for you, better for America.